You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 14th episode of the Corporate Quitter Podcast. I'm joined today by Lisa. She's the founder of the Financial Cookbook, a financial and career empowerment coaching company. Her goal is to help women conquer their career goals, get out of debt, and achieve financial independence so they can start making their dreams become reality. And Lisa and I connected because I stalked her on Pinterest and in TikTok, and I reached out and I was like, please... I know so many women who would benefit from listening to you and hearing from you. So I'm so, so grateful that you're here to share like all your nuggets of gold. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be on the podcast and just seeing the podcast grow and everything. It's, it's really such an honor to be on here. Oh, thank you. Can you get into your story a bit? Like how the financial cookbook came to be like automatically. I like love the name of the financial cookbook. It's such a smart way of framing like the financial world, right? You're putting in all these ingredients and mixing it up, but How did you go from like schooling to then your job to then the financial cookbook? Can you kind of lay it out for us? Yeah, no, that's a great idea. So I do the financial cookbook at night, basically. It's more of a passion project and hopefully someday it'll become a full-time job. I do work at a Fortune 500 company and I work full-time and it's a very demanding job. So this is really, truly like a passion play for me. Um, You know, over the years growing up, I always, when I was young, starting at 11, I loved making money. I loved finding anything I could do to make money. So I was doing garage sales and lemonade stands and eBay, you name it, I was doing it. And I was fortunate to grow up in a family that taught me financial education and, you know, taught me about investing at a young age and got me my first brokerage account at 18. So I could learn about black market and how to invest and things like that. Yeah. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Wow. Damn. Yeah. And you know, and it's one of those things where I kind of took it for granted because I did have to pay for my own college, which, you know, going through college, I always thought, man, everyone else is just getting paid for. That kind of stinks because I was working five jobs at one time through college. And, but what that did for me is it taught me the value of money and it taught me how to make money and how to make money work for me. And so as I continued, you know, graduating college, paying off student loans, et cetera, I continued investing and investing in my 401k and just investing in the stock market, finding opportunities for passive income. And through conversations with friends was kind of realizing that I was their go-to. I was their financial person to go to, to ask questions and questions that I found to be so basic because I grew up with them. You know, I found that they aren't basic. They're something that not everyone is taught. In fact, most people aren't taught. So as the years continued, I found that I was constantly working with friends and they were coming to me for advice. And, you know, I started talking to them about, you know, maybe I should come up with a company and, you know, start teaching women about this because it is so important. It's something that should be taught in schools, but it absolutely isn't, you know? So yeah, over the years, I just kind of had the idea and ended up just starting the financial cookbook. We're still new. We've only been in business for a couple of months actually, but it has really taken off. And so I'm super excited because I'm sharing my passion, but I'm also helping women on a daily basis. And so that's kind of how it came about. And you're absolutely right where it's taking different ingredients. So how to negotiate your salary, how to get a job, how to ask the right interview questions, how to invest, how to buy your first house, all of those different things basically ingredients that combine into a recipe to make up the financial cookbook. I love that you made that connection too, but yeah, 
you know, how it got started is just kind of realizing there's a, there's a space here that there's a huge gap from going from high school or college into the real world. Yeah. And also you have a lot of these experts who like only focus on one thing. So they're like really good at investing, but they don't know anything about like negotiating salary, like key things that you need, especially as a young person. So I love that you kind of like bundled it all up and almost like touching on so many different phases of people's lives, like fresh when you're out of college, like maybe like early twenties, thirties, you're starting to plan a family, buy a house, like kind of going up the ladder, which I think is really, people are going to love that because you're always going to be the go-to person, regardless of what stage in life they're at. Exactly. And that's what I found is even buying my first house, it was kind of, where do I go? And my parents even were like, oh, just go buy it. Just, just go buy a house. And I'm thinking, wait a second, there are steps that you need to take. And how do I even know that I'm ready for that step? How do I know I'm financially prepared? And so as you learn these things, you know, I have read so many books, it's ridiculous, but podcasts, YouTube videos, really, it's just about learning. And over the years, you learn things and you realize this isn't easy. You know, a lot of the times when you Google something, the definition that comes up is harder to understand than the word itself. And so you're thinking, I wish there was some kind of guidebook or something, you know, something like an adulting manual or a financial that can really help us through those steps in life to make things easier so that we can bridge the gender gap, the pay gap and the investing gap. There's a huge investing gap when it comes to women and investing. It's a little bit more intimidating. And sometimes we don't always have all the resources or we're listening to somebody that's a lot older than us or maybe male. And it can be really intimidating when they're talking about financial terms that we have no idea what it means. And really it's just a basic term, but there's such an advanced or complex term that it makes it sound super complicated. And so having someone like me, that's just like everyone else. I'm just like all of us that can just really break things down into an easy to understand way. I think that's really what the market needed. And so I'm hoping I can help change lives. And so far it's been a really fun journey. I've been able to help a lot of women and definitely going to continue on that path. I mean, even from me seeing your TikTok videos, it helped me get so much insight on financial things that I hadn't even been aware of. And even a lot of women that I've spoken to as this podcast and the adulting manual has been built out is the number one thing that stops them from getting to be financially literate, you know, even starting investment is fear. Like they're afraid they're going to mess up. They're afraid they're going to say something stupid if they ask a question. They're afraid that they're not putting their money where they should, you know, all those things. So I felt that just when I would get my oil changed, you know, or get something done with my car, let alone, you know, money, which is even more of an asset, but obviously it's more of a liability versus a car, which is just a car. It's not my whole future. Exactly. And you don't know who to trust. You know, I see videos all the time on social media, even where you think, oh, that's someone that looks like me that, you know, talks like me and acts like me or someone my age. But then they're talking about some kind of obscure way to become a millionaire. And you're thinking, well, wait a second, I don't want to invest in some course and pay thousands of dollars to have some weird roundabout way that I'm going to make money, right? Like I want to understand how the market works and I want to become a millionaire, become wealthy or financially independent by doing it the normal way, making your money work for you, investing in passive income opportunities, investing in the stock market, things that have historically over hundreds of years worked, right? So, um, and that's kind of where I come in is really just trying to be an ear for other women and trying to also understand what do they need help with? Is it budgeting? You know, let's talk about budgeting. How do you manage your money? Where should your money go first? And so it's definitely been a really good experience so far. And I really do have that passion to help other women. And these are all free financial resources and free career resources. You know, I don't sell anything and I'm here to just hopefully help women on their path to success. 
Yeah. And I definitely, if any of you visit the website, which is it's the financialcookbook.com, right? Yes. The financialcookbook.com. It is freaking awesome. So <laughs> go and check it out. No, really. It is so, so, so helpful because right. It goes back to like wanting digestible content that makes sense. Just give it to me how it is. Like, I don't need the fluff. Just like break it down for me. Like, and that's, I think the beauty of TikTok because you only have anywhere from 15 to 60 seconds to like really get your message across. So if you're not hitting that, like your content's garbage, (laughs) you're not, it's not working. Well, in the span these days, like when you're scrolling through social media, you have like two seconds to catch someone's attention. And so if I can break down investing in a 30 second video, then that's great because now now their interest is there. And now we can dive into deeper things. How do you invest? What do you need to do exactly? But that's what I aim to do is just try to break it down really simply, you know, because sometimes when you're using these big words, it just, it doesn't make sense. Every single day I get tons of questions. And one of the biggest questions is what is a brokerage, you know, or how do I invest that these concepts that are so easy when you actually break them down and understand, they sound so foreign if you're not familiar with it. And so that's kind of where I come in and hoping to bridge that gap to make it just a lot easier to understand. So based on what I've seen on your website and kind of what we've talked about, you always mention like, it's really important to invest early. So like, how can someone start their investment journey? And like, can you also maybe touch on FOMO a bit. Cause I feel like I'm, I'm actually turning 28 tomorrow and I only just started my investment journey, like literally last year. And so I'm thinking, Oh my God, it's too late. Like I'm quote unquote old. Right. Whereas there are people who are like, Oh, you got to start when you're 20. Like, or there's doesn't work out. Like, can you kind of touch on both sides of that, of like investing early when to invest and like what to do if you're a little bit older in the game? No, that's a great question. Uh, and I get that all the time. So I want to, I want to kind of like take a step back and explain it and then give an example so that we can understand. So if you're, if you're listening, maybe grab a pen and paper because you're going to want to write this down. This is information that can change your life. And so you're absolutely right. You know, the one thing that we all have that we take advantage of, and that is the most valuable thing is time, time, T-I-M-E. So remember that. Time is the most valuable thing we have when we're talking about acquiring wealth and looking to get financial independence in the future. Someone that's 28 is certainly not behind the game or anything like that. Someone that's 35 is not behind the game. It's just a matter of your investing plan or your investing, your financial plan is going to be a little bit different than someone that's 20 years old. So to kind of break it down, to make it a little bit easier to understand, someone that invest when they're younger will have more years to build compound interest. So what's compound interest? It's basically interest making interest. So for example, if you have your money in a savings account, savings account makes absolutely no interest. It typically is like 0.005 or something super low and, and silly, right? But if we were to take that example and think about it in that term, let's say you have $100 and that $100 makes 50 cents. Now you've got $100.50 that's now making that 1% or whatever it is. And so that's going to compound over time. Well, the stock market works the same way. The stock market on average makes 10% annual return per year. Last year, it did really well because there was a a huge dip, as you know, with coronavirus, and then it boosted up. Other years, there's going to be a little bit of a decline. So it's variable per year. But over the last 100 years, the average has been a 10% annual return. So you think about if you invested $100 into the stock market, it's going to make $10 by the end of the year. That's $110. Next year, that $110 is going to make another 10%. And so you can see how over time, that compound interest is going to just compound over time and essentially make you more money, even though you only put in $100. 
So to break it down so that it's in an example. So if you got your pen and paper, get ready. I'm going to put together an example that I wrote down and kind of crunched the numbers for you beforehand. So let's pretend you're going to retire in 65 years. And I talked about the stock market returning an average of 10%. If you start investing at age 20, so age 20, and you've got 45 years to invest because you're going to retire at 65. If you put in $150 a month, just $150 a month into the stock market, you will have $1.3 million by the time you retire at 65. And yet you only contributed $81,000. So you only put in 81,000, but you're going to have 1.3 million when you retire at 65. Now, if you're 40 years old, so let's, let's move it back 20 years. If you're 40 years old, which is also still a young age, but you only have 25 years to retire if you're retiring at 65. So let's double that. So instead of the 150, you're going to put in $300 a month. So you're going to double the investment because you missed out on that last 20 years. Let's double the investment at $300 a month. You'll be investing for 25 years at 10%. When you retire at 65, you're only going to have 357K. And yet you contributed more. You contributed $90,300. So you've contributed $9,000 more, and yet you're going to have about a million dollars less. That is the power of compound interest. That extra 20 years that that money was just sitting there compounding over time, that is essentially time lost and money lost. All you have to do if you're thinking about retirement is backtrack. So kind of figure out what number you need when you retire and then backtrack to see how much money you're going to need to invest every month to get to those achievements, if that makes sense. That was an awesome example. I am so grateful that you broke it down because right, especially on TikTok and like YouTube and Instagram, everyone's like, yeah, become a millionaire at like 65. And you're like, that's great. But like how, right? How? I know it's investing, but like, can you get a little more granular now? Like when you talk about, okay, invest in the stock market, not for maybe advice on what stocks, but like in general, like what are some ways that people can navigate, let's say a a stash or a Robinhood or one of those apps so that they can start executing basically without using a brokerage or like, you know, someone at a, a broker, basically at a firm. Yeah. So you're asking how can they do it themselves without having like a financial advisor or something like that? Yeah. But I also want to maybe ask too, like, do you use a financial advisor or would you recommend it? Or is it like, it depends on the person in their situation? Yeah. So everyone's different. I actually have a small portion of my portfolio with a financial advisor and I manage the rest of it on my own. So actually I'd probably say about a fourth of it is with a financial advisor and the rest of it I manage on my own. And the reason I do that personally is because I have different investment strategies. So I diversify because if she has a different strategy than I have, then I want to take advantage of that knowledge and have her run with that money I gave her. And then for myself, who's constantly doing research, I invest in my own things. And then I have a retirement account course. Um, Then I have another retirement account. I basically have about five different brokerages and they all have different investing strategies. So for someone that's just getting started in investing, I do actually have a guide to, you know, a beginner's tutorial for how to use Robinhood and, you know, how to get started investing. But what you need is a brokerage account. So think Robinhood, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, Vanguard. These are all good brokerages. If you want to learn the stock market and understand how trading works, how the hours work, just kind of understand how stocks work, I think Robinhood is a great app. I know some people don't like it, but they don't like it because they're usually selling you something. Robinhood is a great beginner's app. Put $100 in there to start $50 and invest in a couple stocks and watch how the stock market works. Watch the numbers go up and down all day long. 
it really helps you understand things. It helps you learn how the stock market works. And so I always recommend Robinhood. I know, like I said, a lot of people don't recommend it, but that's because they're talking about index funds and long-term investing, which Robinhood can also do. I recommend that just to learn the stock market or if you want to see how individual stock works. But for long-term investing, I use a brokerage like Fidelity, Vanguard, or Charles Schwab. And the reason for that is because Robinhood, because it's so easy to use, it's extremely easy to use, but because of that, it's a little bit easy to sell as well. So you can easily find yourself wrapped up in, oh my gosh, the market's tanking. I'm getting a notification on my phone that this stock is going down. I need to sell. And that's kind of the mindset that we don't want, right? You know, unless we're day trading or something like that, and we have a short-term investment plan, then that's fine, which you might want to do a part of your portfolio is day trading. But for the most part, you want to invest for the long-term. You know, when I talk about these numbers earlier with the example, these aren't numbers that, you know, you're day trading, you're taking it out every year and you're putting it into something else. You're leaving it in there. So when I say investing, you want to open a brokerage account, like one of those I just mentioned, you want to put money in from your bank account and you can, you can have your actual paycheck set up to automatically distribute funds into the account. So if you want to do 10%, that way you never have to see it. You never have to question, oh, gee, you know, I wanted to save for this trip. You know, maybe I shouldn't put in this month. Nope. It's already taken from your paycheck and it automatically goes into your brokerage to get invested. So you can set that up. Is that your 401k you mean? Oh yeah. No, that's a great question. So the 401k is separate from an individual brokerage, but also with your 401k, you would have that set up through your employer as well. But that's a great question. I had no idea that I could do that with, I only thought it was the 401k and that was it. I didn't realize you can divvy up money out of your paycheck automatically to put into these brokerage accounts. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you would probably do that through the brokerage itself. Or sometimes uh, if your employer has an online portal, you can go in there and say, I want 10% of my paycheck to go into this fund. Um, and it'll automatically send it there. That way you never have to see the money. And a lot of the women I've worked with, they end up doing that because for them, it's hard to see the money in their bank account and think, oh, you know, well, I wanted to save for this or I wanted this. And then they find themselves not investing and not putting that money away because they have this other expense that they were going to pay for. But if they automatically do it, if you never see it, then it's always in the background just working for you. And that's good to kind of keep it out of sight. So that's a great point that you brought up though, Gabby, is if you have a 401k, you already have a brokerage. All you need to do is set up an individual account within that brokerage. So it makes it very, very simple because you don't even need another account. Call the brokerage up and say, hey, I want to I want to learn about, you know, I want to start an individual brokerage account. If you have employee stock, you already have an individual brokerage. That is an individual brokerage account. So just add money to it and start investing. Um, and then what to invest in. You'll want to look at, you can invest in stocks. You can invest in ETFs, mutual funds, or index funds. I have a portfolio that has all of those different things. Index funds are essentially, so if you have a stock, let's say you have an, an Apple stock, you've got an Apple in front of you, and that represents the Apple stock. Basically, if that Apple stock goes down, like if Apple goes bankrupt or something, you lose everything, right? You lose that Apple that you have and you lose everything. But an index fund is essentially an apple, an orange, a banana, a carrot, everything combined. So an index fund can have thousands of companies combined into one. So if one company goes bankrupt, you're not really going to see the effect. Basically, it's a way for you to diversify your portfolio without having to do it individually. Does that make sense? It was really, really helpful that you kind of explained that more because 
I think for a lot of people, it's again, the fear comes up. It's really overwhelming to make a decision. You know, it's your money and you want it to work for you. So, you know, you don't want to make a quote unquote bad decision, but if you're dealt with an index fund that gives you a variety of choices, you know, you don't have to be so specific about what you choose because it's, it, they already basically chose and, and bundled it together for you. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it easy. And that's exactly why index funds and mutual funds came about years ago is because they were trying to make it a little bit easier for the average investor, the person that doesn't have time to constantly research stocks. They just basically put it into one. And so you own a little bit of every company. So I own thousands of companies. I'm an investor in thousands and thousands of companies because I own index funds, mutual funds, I own stocks and ETFs. So it really allows you to diversify without spending all the time diversifying. So based on what you just said, I want to touch on budgeting because, right, I think with a lot of people too, the biggest thing is, well, how much money do I invest? And there's like also the, to your example, let's say I'm 20 and I want to put in 150 per month, but I'm barely making money. Like, does it make sense to then put yourself at risk by doing the $150 a month? Or is there a way to structure it? So maybe like this year, you're only doing $50 and next year, when you make a little bit more money, you go up. Like, what do you recommend to people for budgeting and what did you do? Yeah, that's so that's a great question. And that's something I get a lot is, you know, well, I don't have an extra 150 laying around. So what do I do? There's a couple of things I would say to that. One, I would say in all of these investing and financial books you read, the number one thing they're going to tell you is, you know, they'll ask you, are you going to pay your expenses first or are you going to pay yourself first? And normally people say, oh, I'm going to pay my expenses first and whatever I have left, I go into savings. But it's actually the opposite. You want to pay yourself first. And the reason they say that is because, and these are investors like Warren Buffett, Tony Robbins, I mean, huge, huge investors. And uh, they say these things because if you've got, you know, $100 a month that you're going to contribute and you contribute that first. So even if it comes straight out of your bank account, you're sending that to yourself first. They call that paying yourself. And Tony Robbins likes to call it the freedom fund. And I love that term because that's what it is, is you are putting money into freedom. Because that's what money is essentially later in life. It's going to give you freedom to do things. So you're paying your freedom fund. And then at the end of the month, you know, you look at your expenses and you're going to try to stay within those expenses. So if you have to cut $100 by not going out to drinks or whatever it is, then you're going to do that because you don't have that money. And the same thing goes for what if I go over? What if I still need $100? Guess what? Your mind's going to start thinking, how do I make an extra $100 then? because I need to cover the expenses that I went over. So how am I going to make that money? And I've got tons of resources on the website of how you make a hundred dollars. I mean, I, I make 300 to $500 a month on eBay and I spend maybe three to five minutes doing it. It's super quick and easy. But the point is that there are always ways to make money. And if you're challenging your mind to say, okay, I'm going to pay myself first because these are my financial goals. If I don't have money left over, then I'm going to figure out how to meet that. I'm going to figure out how to make an extra hundred bucks. I'm going to flip an item. Uh, Gary V always talks about the best way to make money is to flip items, go to garage sales, find free stuff on Craigslist and then go sell it. I mean, it's not that hard and people just aren't putting in the time to work. You know, it's what they're finding. And so if you put in that time to get the extra hundred bucks, guess that that's a hundred bucks you're putting in your bank account that is now going to compound over time. So it's a great question. And if 150 doesn't work out, then do 50, do whatever works best for you. And if you can do 300 one month, great. If you can do 500, that's great too. Find out what works best for you, but make yourself the priority and make your freedom fund the priority. 
I really love how you touched on finding alternative ways to make money because most people, right, they have their nine to five job. Like that's what they lean on for their financial stability. And like with a lot of people, right, it's really great when you get the new salary and the new job, but then a couple months later, you kind of start spending in accordance with that salary. So then you're like, oh shit, like I had $500 extra every month and now I don't because I committed to X, Y, and Z or I'm drinking more or traveling more or like whatever it is. So I'm, I'm glad you touched on that. That's exactly what happens. You know, we all started out in a dorm or living with our parents and you go to the dorm, then you go to your own apartment where you're sharing it with five roommates. Then you go to two roommates, then you go to one roommate, then pretty soon, oh, I need my own apartment. And then it's, oh, I'm going to buy my own house. I'm going to buy a condo. And then it's, oh, I'm going to buy a house. So it's like, as you make money, you find ways to spend more, you know, and that's just human nature. That's how it works. You're going to go on more vacations or buy more expensive things. But if you think, okay, first, my priority is I'm going to pay myself. And if you get a raise, say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to increase that 10% then. Since I got that raise, now I'm going to increase that 10% or 20% or whatever it is, and then allow your expenses to follow. Because otherwise we get caught in this rat race and pretty soon we aren't making our money work for us. We are working for money. And really that's what we want to try to avoid if we want to be financially independent as women and we want to retire and not have to work forever. We have to get smarter about how we're managing that money. I love how you, you framed it in that way. Can you get in, since we're on the topic of like jobs and things like that, how does someone even like find a job? Like maybe it's not even just out of college, but maybe someone who is looking to, I don't know if it's job hop or like, like for, for example, for me, I started off with a really crappy salary as everyone does out of college. It was like $40,000, like something terrible in Manhattan, can't afford anything. Yeah, it's right. It's typical. And so I wasn't making leeway in my current role to get raises. So I was like, screw this. And I would just job hop because it was the quickest way for me to jump salary wise. But like, can you kind of get into like that worked for me, but like for you, what worked for you or like, what are the types of tips and strategies you give your friends with regards to finding a job and maybe finding that role that that will pay you more to then do these financial things? Yeah. So there are so many points there that you made that I think are so good that I want to touch on. You mentioned job hopping. Job hopping is fantastic. You guys, the number one way to increase your income is to job hop. You know, I know that in the past, our parents used to spend 30 to 50 years in a job and they'd retire and that was it. And that was the way it is no longer that way. Now it is common to job hop. In fact, people switch jobs on average every two years. So don't be ashamed of that. That's a good thing because every time you switch jobs, guess what? That's a new opportunity to negotiate your salary. I actually just had a friend a few days ago, she job hopped and she was, you know, concerned about it. She had been with her old company for 10 years. She just wasn't sure. Guess what? She job hopped. She makes 150 K more, 150 K more. Damn. Wow. Oh my God. Job hopping. It's a clean slate. You know, this is your opportunity to now sell yourself. You don't need to tell them what you made at your old job. You don't need to tell them that you were making 20 K 40 K. You don't need to tell them. What you need to tell them is the value that you're going to bring. You can quantify it. You can say in my last company, this is what I did. These are the projects I worked on. I helped the company grow from XYZ revenue to this or helped meet this metric. Figure out what you'd be doing in that role and explain what you did in your previous role to show them your value. You know, obviously when they come to you with an offer, the first thing you want to do is negotiate the offer. You never take the first offer. And there are statistics that 67% of women don't negotiate their salary. 
this is a problem. We have to change that. We have to be negotiating our salaries. Um, so that's one way, you know, I love that you brought that up. I love job hopping. I think that's a great way to increase your income. Yeah. And like you said, everyone thinks it's like a bad thing. And I, I remember when I first started in corporate six, seven years ago and they, you know, recruiters would be like, oh, well, you've been job hopping so much. That's going to look bad. And it was like, no, it actually worked out better. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I did great. Exactly. It's so good, especially if you're able, if you work hard and you're able to change things within a corporation, it's even better. You've been there for two years and look at all these things you've accomplished. And so now you're moving on to the next role and that company sees you as, wow, she is powerful and she's going to help my corporation. So I want her because she drove that much value in two years. Whereas if you've been there for six, seven, eight years, it's like, oh, okay. You know, it's kind of a bit more expected. You can really document some of the things you've done. And all of us have done great things. It doesn't have to be some ridiculous thing we've done, but really challenge yourself to prioritize yourself. So as you're working your day jobs, write things down. Every time I do something good for my company, I write it down because that could be something later that I put in a resume or talk about in a future interview or talk about in a performance review. In fact, this morning, I actually had my performance review from last year. And I talked about all those things. I talked about all the things I did that I don't even remember. I mean, that was January of 2020. I don't remember those things. So because I wrote them down, I was able to speak to them. So start writing down a list today of all the accomplishments you're making at work. Even if it's an email that comes back from your boss that says, Hey, great job. Or even if a peer says, Hey, great job, print it out, print it out immediately. I have, I have a whole stack of printouts because now I can go back and quote different things that people have said on different projects I've worked on. And so in terms of finding a job, you've got to have a LinkedIn profile. I love LinkedIn. I think it is the newest resource and the best resource. It is the up and coming thing. If you don't have a LinkedIn, you've got to get one today. Just go to linkedin.com. It's free. Sign up for a profile. It's basically an online resume. Sometimes companies hire straight from that. In fact, the thing I like best about it is put your picture on there. Don't go without a picture. Put your picture on there. Put your whole resume, as many details as you can think of, awards, et cetera. And put your interests as well. If you like to run, snowboard, put all that in there. But then you can job search in there. And not only can you do that, you can save job searches so that it actually alerts you if particular jobs become available. So you set all your parameters, how much you want to make, whether it's remote, cities, et cetera. It'll email you each day what the new jobs are. But the best part is, is you can put on your profile that you are open to opportunities. And what that does is you will start getting recruiters emailing you and contacting you on a daily basis. I had turned mine on for maybe 12 hours. I got five emails and was like, okay, I have to turn this off because I'm not looking for a job. I just like to always have it open. You never know what opportunity is going to come your way. I'm glad I did that because now I'm able to talk about it. Have it on. Put that you're open to opportunities. Sell yourself in your resume recruiters, that is their sole job is to look for people like you. Those recruiters get paid when they place you in a job. So they have just as much interest in getting you in that job as you have in getting a job. So make sure you put that tick mark on LinkedIn that you're open to jobs because then you have the opportunity to start getting emails from them. Yeah. I love LinkedIn. I think that was the, probably the best resource I used that and recruiters, but I found the recruiters through LinkedIn. That was how I scaled as quickly as I did from a both financially and like I went, I did so many different industries because of LinkedIn. Like I touched like every industry. So it wouldn't have happened if I was just doing like Indeed searches or stuff. And that's so good because a lot of my just friends and family members and things like that, 
they don't explore different jobs in different industries because they have an interest in one. And so they're always looking for that perfect job. And I think you and I have talked about that before. The perfect job often does not exist for anyone or if it does exist, it exists later in life. You know, it exists maybe when you're 40 or 50 and you find something that you're passionate about, but it often doesn't exist when you're 21 or 18, getting out of high school or college. And I think a lot of us, you know, sometimes think, well, you know, I want to do something I'm passionate about. This is a lot of my time every day and I'm not interested or whatever. You cannot think that way. You have to just find a job that pays the bills because you're going to get experience. And in the meantime, you can continue looking for something that you want but you don't want to waste that time. You want to get as much experience as possible, build connections, network with people. Because I know the last two jobs I've gotten were because of people I knew, because I worked with other people. I showed them how hard of a worker I was. And then when they moved companies, they wanted me to go to that company and they got me there. So it's all about who, you know, once you start working and that will take you places in life. Talking about trying different industries. That's so good because you know, my whole education is not in what I do now. My whole education is in accounting. I have an MBA with an emphasis in accounting. I thought I wanted to be an auditor for a big four firm. And so I did that and I hated it. (laughs) It was horrible for me, but it was, I'm sure it's great for other people, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, I have a passion to work with people and talk to people every day. And I wasn't meant to be in a conference room. So I ended up figuring out that because I had tried some different industries before I worked for a big four, once I worked for a big four, I realized, Hey, I don't like this. And so then I went to a different industry after that. So I think your point to trying different industries is fantastic because that will allow you to figure out exactly what you want to do. Couldn't agree more that I think I, everyone that I talk to who's in their twenties, they're like, again, trying to rush and like figure it all out. Like this is part of the process. Like you have to accept it. It is your twenties are for like getting experience and like messing up and like, you know, trying different things or basically throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. Like that is basically what your twenties are. Exactly. And don't be hard on yourself. You know, that's the biggest thing to have fun. I mean, the twenties are the best years. I think they're just so great. I'm sure the thirties are great too. Um, <laughs> I'm just into my thirties. So I'll let, I'll let you know. <laughs> are awesome. You know, enjoy your time, have fun, get experience and have fun with your friends, you know, have a good time, but still have those financial goals and, you know, the career goals and always just be looking for the next opportunity. You know, I think that's super, super important. Yeah. Agreed. It's funny because I just spoke to, I have a friend who's helping to hire some people at her current job because there's some people who have moved around and whatever else. And she called me yesterday and she was like, oh my God, I cannot believe the people that are coming my way. They have no interview etiquette whatsoever. Like these people are either rude or they don't hold conversation or like anything like that. Like, can you touch on like, okay, you found the job and you you got the first interview. Like, can you touch on some interview etiquette or some things that are like, you know, you got to do to nail the job? Yeah, absolutely. That's something that is so not talked about. I feel like, you know, it's certainly not something we're taught in schools. And honestly, I don't know if I would have learned it if I hadn't worked at the, a company I worked at right out of college that, you know, I interviewed with, but then they taught me how to meet with clients and you know, over the years, now I interview people and I see things that, you know, just probably shouldn't be done. So earlier this week, I was actually just talking about this and talking about it on the website, but basic interview etiquette. So, you know, you want to go in and when you go in and talk to the receptionist, you want to say, hi, I'm Lisa. I'm here to meet with 
Mr. Smith at 10 o'clock, I have an interview. I'm, you know, I'm a few minutes early or something. And you want to make eye contact. And then when you're meeting with the person, the first time he comes out, you know, you want to make sure that you give a firm handshake. None of these like, you know, flimsy handshakes, give a firm handshake and make eye contact. So that's one of the things is firm handshake will show how confident you are. Um, and it will show that you, you're going to bring value to the organization dress for the job. So dress for the job you want, not the job you're applying for. So a few weeks ago, I was helping a friend of mine, actually a younger friend get a job and that job requires just jeans and t-shirts. That's all they wear there. And I said, wear a suit. He was like, I don't want to wear a suit. And I'm like, wear a suit. Let's see what happens. You're going to stand out against the other candidates. And sure enough, he wore a suit. He got there 30 minutes early. He did a fantastic interview and he got the job. And they even said, wow, I've never seen anybody this dressed up for the interview. You must really want the job. And he said, I do really want the job. And they gave it to him. And this is a company that has hundreds of applicants, hundreds of interviews, actually, every week. And they only had 10 jobs to fill. So it just goes to show that if you overdress for the job, you're going to show them that you care. And that's really what you want to do. You want to show them that you care about this job um, and that you really want it. So firm handshake, eye contact, certainly don't be late 15 minutes early. That's the rule. Don't be 14 minutes early, be 15 minutes early. So be on time. You want to dress for the job. Like I mentioned, ask questions. So at the end, the worst thing when I'm interviewing with someone, I say, do you have any questions? And it's just silence or they say, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, so you want to ask questions, you know, and how do you do this? I have a full resource. It's free on the website. That'll tell you all the questions to ask. You can even print it out. You can bring it in and have a couple questions in hand that you want to ask. So research the company first, so you can show them that you know about the company. And you also want to research the interviewer. So go on LinkedIn and find out some things about them. Find out where they went to college. Find out what they're into, if they're into running and you're into running. Guess what? That's going to be one of the first things you talk about. Say, hey, I saw that you're into running. I'm into running too. What races have you done? You know, start building that rapport. So you want to build rapport. You want to research the company, research the interview. And then the last thing you want to do in an interview, and this is going to be one of the most important things, is after you've asked your questions, the last question you ask is, what's the next step in the interview process? You basically want to understand what the interview process is so that you can know, okay, if the next step is to meet with Jim on, you know, that he's going to be the next interview, you say, okay, when's Jim available? I have availability tomorrow. Is he available for an interview tomorrow? You want to try to get it on the calendar. And if they do have a process that they have to go through with HR, then say, okay, that's not a problem. When should I expect to hear from Jim? Basically have it in your mind, what the next step is in a timeline and say, you know, if I don't hear from Jim by Wednesday, should I call on Thursday morning? Kind of get it in their mind as well. So they have a timeline that they need to stick by because they've told you. And that'll keep you basically in the running for this interview. And it'll help you understand what you need to do to get to that next step. If they say you're, oh, well, you know, we'll let you know say, well, what can I tell you today that'll ensure that I make it to the next step of this interview process? That's a great ending. I never use that in my interviews, but asking that question of like what next steps are, I think, especially with these big companies, like they have so many candidates they're interviewing. Like I remember for my, when I worked at a big company, it took like almost like a month to solidify everything. Like they interviewed me and then some, like some managing director was traveling and then another person, like they just couldn't get it together. I wish I knew ahead of time that it was going to take that much because I'm thinking I could put my two weeks in two weeks and it ended up being a month, you know? Oh, yeah. The interview processes can be so long. And honestly, 
a lot of times there's a presentation or something like that. And don't you wish you had known that? That way you could ask the interviewer, say, well, what should I present on? What's to be expected? What are the expectations? You know, what can ensure that I'm going to be a good candidate for this role? Another good question to ask at the end of an interview before you ask them the next step is, is there anything I've said today that would make you think I wouldn't be a good candidate for this role? Oh, that's a good one. You know, and it does put them on the spot. It might make you a little bit uncomfortable, but don't be uncomfortable. Make them uncomfortable and have them, you know, you'll kind of see their demeanor change and it will allow you to really see where you stand. So if they're like, you know what? No, you know, you're a great candidate. Then you know what? You know, you've got the next step in the interview. But if they say, well, you know, I'm a little concerned because your history or, you know, you don't have as much experience as we wanted, then that's great because now they're telling you what's wrong. And now you have the opportunity to come back and rebuttal and say, oh, you know, what is it that you're concerned about in my experience? Is there something I can clear up for you? So it just kind of allows you to really see where you stand. And then that way it gives you opportunity to clarify things before you leave. Yeah, that's such a great tip. I wish I learned that in my early 20s because I definitely needed it. I used to probably bomb interviews and I had no idea. No, I'm sure you didn't. It's interviewing, the more you do it, the easier it's going to be, you know? And so a lot of the women I work with that are just out of college, you know, they'll apply for five to 10 jobs and they'll be like, well, I haven't heard back or I got one interview, but it didn't go well or whatever. It is not uncommon to apply for hundreds of jobs. When I graduated college, I applied for hundreds. And honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just wanted someone to pay me. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. And, and the first job I had was 40000 as well. I was just thrilled. I, I was so excited. And that was just 10 years ago. It definitely goes to show that it's not uncommon to apply for hundreds of jobs to have one company finally say, okay, we'll, we'll take a chance on you. Cause you got to remember when you're graduating college, I had done five internships. I had worked all through college. So I had tons of work experience and yet I didn't have good enough work experience because I didn't have, you know, a normal job, like a normal work experience job. I did internships, but that's different than having an actual job that you're responsible for things. So even with all that experience, it took me hundreds of, of applications and interviews and things like that to finally get that first job. So don't be discouraged at all. Know that it's a numbers game and you're competing against so many other candidates that are also wanting those same jobs. So don't get discouraged at all. Just keep going. Know that it's a normal process. Yeah. I found that it was more, you just, just keep applying, just keep applying, like change up a cover letter here. Like and I also love the apply, the LinkedIn, like easy apply thing. Oh my God, that like trigger happy. Like, oh my God, <laughs> probably over apply to jobs because of that feature. Exactly. Well, it makes it so much easier. And that's the other thing I liked about LinkedIn is that, you know, they're real jobs. You know, sometimes I find that on some of the other job search engines, if you look, you're like, is this, is this a job? Like, is this real? And at least on LinkedIn, you can see there's a company behind it. There's usually a recruiter or a name or something tied to it. So, you know, it's a real job and it's not just some bogus, you know, thing on Craigslist or something. And, and that's why I think LinkedIn is just such a good resource for finding jobs these days. It's my favorite thing. Even personally, honestly, like I've connected with so many amazing people that I now reach out to or they reach out to me for personal things too, which is, I mean, that's not what the point of it is, but it ended up being that way, which is awesome. Oh, it's so true. Like for me, I don't have any personal social media. And so people that haven't talked to me in years, they'll find me on LinkedIn. And it's just a great forum to find people. And so if you're just joining LinkedIn, just go through and find anybody you know. 
go through and just add people that you know, people that you used to work with. Heck, just invite, you know, add random people as well. You never know what kind of connections you can make. And then that way you have some connections in there for when you're applying for jobs. It doesn't look like you're just a random profile or a spam profile. It looks like you're a real person. Yeah, agreed. I tried to fill mine out as much as possible. I like bulk added every single person from high school, which I don't know if I recommend that, but like, you know, you got to start somewhere. You can't have like two connections. So. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it's, and it's hard to, when you're applying with your resume and things, you want to make sure that it's tailored to the job. And the best way to do that nowadays is to look for keywords. So when you're looking at a job posting, you want to look for keywords. So if it says, you know, searching for seeking marketing professional and you have experience in marketing, you want to put on your resume. I um, have experience in marketing. I'm a marketing professional or something to that degree, because these days, these resumes are going through, they're basically going through a software and they're looking for keywords. So when you go through a job posting, look for specific keywords that you think, hmm, you've seen it a couple of times. You think it's a keyword. Put it on your resume if you have that experience. So some of us might have a marketing background, but because we didn't put marketing professional, our resume didn't get picked up. You know, certainly don't lie, but if they're looking for someone that's proficient in Microsoft Office, then put proficient in Microsoft Office on your resume because that could be a keyword that they're looking for. And I think it's hard these days. You really do have to tailor your resume to the job each time. And then the objective at the top is no longer an objective. You know, it used to be in the past that you're seeking X, Y, Z. It's no longer that. So get rid of the objective. Instead, you're going to do a summary of yourself. So do a two to three sentence summary of your experience and your education, and then go from there. That's kind of the new way to do things on a resume now. I love that you touched on how to curtail a resume because I think nowadays, again, with the softwares and stuff, it is so easy to push people out of the running just because they didn't, they basically just copy paste, copy paste the same exact resume for every single job. And that doesn't work. It's so true. And they can tell that, you know, and it it does make it a little bit more difficult. It takes more time, but at the end of the day, if you're tailoring it towards the job and maybe you even put the company name in your resume or something like that, so they can tell it's for them, it's going to set you up so much better. So I know for me, every time I apply to a new job, I will even change titles of things. You know, you could change it from professional to executive to representative to, I don't even know, but you can change it based on what they're looking for, right? So if they're looking for a marketing professional and you were a marketing consultant, you're going to put marketing professional now. Maybe the next job, they're looking for a marketing consultant. So now you're going to put marketing consultant. So in in that, and I'm talking about previous job experience, right? So I even changed the titles of my previous jobs and make sure that they still relate to it. But oftentimes, like in my job now, I'm called probably 10 different things. So um, I do have a specific job title, but I'm called probably 10 different things. So all of those would work on a resume. And so I would tailor that to the next job I'm applying for. Yeah, that's such a good point. I think also some people are a little hesitant to change the title because they think, oh, they're going to look into this and I'm going to be called a fraud. But like, realistically, like there's so many different iterations of the same thing. Like you just said, like marketing assistant, marketing coordinator, marketing professional, like they're all kind of in the same boat, you know, it's just different ways. It's just synonyms, right? In a sense. Exactly. Exactly. And if they're looking for a particular one, like marketing coordinator and yours says marketing professional, they're not going to pick it up. So just kind of think about those things. Of course, I never lie on a resume or anything like that, but figure out what they're looking for and tailor it to them. 
Yeah. I think for the people listening, that is going to help a lot. Um, not only with obviously inter- interview adequate and like finding a job, but actually knowing how to like actually get an interview, which is the hardest part, I think, of the whole thing. Because once you're in front of people and you show them your personality, it's like, you know, either you're clicking in terms of personality or you're not. And that's like usually the first. Yeah. I think that everything that we talked about from, you know, your investment journey to the, uh, this, like, I think it's kind of, you're get, giving a nice little sandwich of like your twenties, like all the things you should do from like finding to make money and then actually using your money to be financially stable. It's all, it's all really helpful. Absolutely. Good. Well, I, I hope it was helpful and certainly aim to help in any way that I can and help women just kind of understand that we can do this too. It doesn't have to be a male dominated anything, right? You know, let's bridge the investment gap. Let's bridge the pay gap. Let's be successful in our careers, which we all, we know that women are so powerful. And so that's really what I aim to do is just kind of help bridge that gap. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. Before we wrap up, I want to, you know, ask, I know we talked about investments and all these like amazing things from an advice perspective, but like, if you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be? Ooh, that's a really good question. I think if I were to give advice to my younger self, one, it would be don't look for the perfect job like I had talked about. But the other thing would be investing early and understanding because like with the example I gave you earlier on the 20 years versus if you're age 40, um, you can just really see how the power of compound interest just really adds up over time. And so making myself a priority when I'm age 20 and investing early that'll really pay dividends in the long run. Um, but also just not being too hard on yourself, you know, realizing that we are all on a different journey. Don't compare yourself to others. I know social media is really difficult these days and everyone looks like supermodels, but you've got to remember people don't actually look that way. Right. And, and the things that you're seeing on social media are not their highlight reels and they're exactly what they're called, right? On Instagram, it's called reels. It's called a highlight reel, right? So don't compare yourself to others. We're all on our own individual journey. And if you are learning every day, that's my one tip is learn something new every day. Read a book, read five or 10 pages of a book every day. Listen to a podcast, watch a YouTube video. You will see that the knowledge that you're gaining over time is going to completely transform your life. That is the one thing that huge investors do, billionaires do, you will hear all of them talk about it. Not one does not talk about it. Every single one of them does this is they learn something new every day. So challenge yourself, you know, challenge yourself at work and by reading books and podcasts, listening to podcasts. And I guarantee you're going to see your life change. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And just like, you know, with money, that knowledge will compound over time as well. So it's just, you know, it's a win-win. You can't really, there's no bad things by doing it. That's for sure. Exactly. Absolutely. And you'll learn something new and it'll just help transform other things in your life. And it'll also open up relationships with others. You know, when you know something and you meet somebody else that knows that same thing, you automatically start building rapport, which will help you in the business world as well. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for being on. I think we covered a multitude of topics that are going to be extremely helpful for all the women listening and the men, because obviously it's everyone can benefit from it. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so I much. I actually have about 50% men followers, but we absolutely, I help all different genders. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you again for coming on and answering my email and <laughs> connected. And, you know, I can't wait to continue to see the financial cookbook, you know, grow and thrive and see where it goes. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You can find me at thefinancialcookbook.com or on any social media. It's at Financial Cookbook. So super easy and happy to help. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.